0: This is Jimmy Bullard, a.k.a. The Bulldog, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Full and Focus podcast. My name is Matt Wachler and as they did such a good job of delivering a blow-by-blow account of the Blackburn match earlier in the week, Matt Lampett and Matt stato are to join me as we look ahead to the Huddersfield game. This Matt finish will be sure not to take the gloss off what we hope will be a five-star performance on Friday night. Speaking of five stars, don't forget to head over to your podcast app of choice and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. This gives us a better chance of reaching more Fulham fans who may have thus far missed out on hearing our often nonsensical ramblings. Before we go to the mats though, I caught up with Danny Boy about a former player who I would say absolutely fits into the legend category. Fulham. Right, I'm joined by Fulham Focus legend Danny Boy to talk about a Fulham legend, Lewis Boer Morse. Danny, how are you, mate?
1: How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, all good. Um, so, Boa Morte, I know he's one of your all-time favourite players. Um, what, what did you know about him before he came to Fulham? Because he initially joined Fulham on loan in two thousand two thousand and one from Southampton.
1: Well, he's not one of my all-time favourites. He is my all-time favourite. Uh, I, I would go as far as to say that he was my, I suppose, my teenage hero. That that was the the years uh, I grew up watching him in the Fulham shirt and. Even today, if I was to meet him, I would get those sort of goosebumps and be a bit nervous around him. He's just—he's my hero and I don't think that'll ever change. I don't think anyone will ever come close. I think maybe because he inspired me to feel the way I do about Fulham. When you get to your teenage years, supporting Fulham becomes more than it was when you was a tiny kid, following your grandparents and your parents to games because they told you to. Uh, There's more of an understanding of what it means to support a club. And those players from that era, for any fan, I would say become the ones that they have the most affection for. I don't think that ever changes for for any fan. They'll always be your original heroes. Going back to the question, because I waffled a little bit there, but deserved the intro, I think. I didn't know an awful lot about him. Obviously, he was at Arsenal, was a promising young star, but he was coming through at the time when they had the likes of Ian right up front. So, games were hard to come by and maybe he didn't fulfil the potential Arsene Wenger thought he we had. But then, it didn't work out for him at Southampton. And I thought we was getting a bit part player, maybe someone else's flop. But if you're going to resurrect your career under anyone, then Sean Tugana is the man, isn't he? I mean... He can give anyone the motivation to to go on and fulfil their potential. And it was the perfect move at the perfect time for Barr.
0: Yeah, I didn't realise when I was researching this a little bit earlier, I didn't realise he signed for Arsenal in uh, 1997 and he got a Premier League winner's medal uh, in that 1998 season when Arsenal won the league. As you say, he then moved on to Southampton where it didn't work out for him. And I, I just don't think Glenn Hoddle fancied him at the time.
1: Yeah, well, when you when you listen to Glenn Hoddle on the TV and stuff, when he's analysing games, he's very passionate about the technical side of the game and keeping possession and, you know, maybe having your fire players in midfield and, and you know, working it out from the back. He, I can see him being absolutely in love with the way Pep Guardiola plays, for example. And I think Balmorte goes against the grain a little bit. He was a bit of a hothead, wasn't he? A bit of a a wild character, I suppose in a way, just a very good version of Kamara, more articulate in the way that he used his pace because Kamara is a bit of a, a ball in a china shop. Uh, it's very hard to control the ball and control what you're going to do uh, with your next move when you are so, I suppose, so rough with your running. Whereas Balmore, a glided across the pitch, uh, but maybe just... Just wasn't suited to that pretty tippy tappy perfect football that I would say Glen Hoddle favours.
0: Yeah, he, he eventually he eventually glided past players, but I remember when he first joined, he was he was something of a of a rough diamond. Um, I think he started out on the bench. And I remember the the Birmingham away game. He came on um, right at the start of the season when we when we beat them three at, one um, at their place, and he came on. And I remember him just. I felt like he needed too many touches in front of goal, and I thought like he was going to be one of those quite frustrating players. But eventually, he went
1: on to score a lot of goals in that um, in that promotion season. Yeah, but then I mean, it's the first player that comes to my mind when you say he took a lot of touches and. And wasn't the finished article straight away? It's Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously. It's mm. a different gravy. I'm not trying to say Bar, what it was in that league, of course. But they were both Portuguese. Maybe it took someone like Togana to iron out all those creases and say, listen, you know, one touch at your feet, use your pace, finished product, rather You're right. than all this all this pretty stuff. Maybe it needed someone like that to to mentor him. He became very direct very quickly. Yeah, well, he did, and the whole—I think the whole team did. Um, that's why that Tigana team for me will always wipe the floor with um, Slab's team because it was so, so much more variety involved. It wasn't um, slow build-up all the time. It was—it was—it could be very direct, but very effective as well. And and for me, that's more entertaining. When you've got players like Barmore in your team with that pace, they're so hard to come by when when you're a club like Fulham because all the, all the fast players tend to go to big clubs. It's an absolute joy to watch when, when you see someone like Boamorte just cruising past top defenders. And that's what he did pretty much his whole career was like. Um, He's a flair
0: player, isn't he? We didn't really have any flair players under Slav. We were just quite well drilled and organised. But, you know, Boamorte and Sahar as well, both two flair players in one team. And we, we just steamrolled that whole division that season. Yeah, phenomenal.
1: I would say more I think he, he always had that edge in him where you didn't know what to expect. Uh, he maybe wasn't as consistent in his earlier years. He was likely to get sent off and make stupid decisions. Mm. I think he, he was a bit of a wind-up for oppositions as well. But particularly when Sahar left, uh, and, and this for me is, is probably his biggest achievement in the Fulham shirt. People will say the Chelsea goal, but for me... If it wasn't for Balmorte and Steve Malbronk in the two or three years under Coleman after Louis Sahar left, Willem would have comfortably been relegated. We we replaced the likes of Alan Gomar with Zesh Raymond and Ian Pearce. We replaced Van Dessau with, you know, or anti Naemi, but then it's a world apart from Van uh, We We replaced Louis Sahar with people like Haida Helgerson, mm. <laughs> Simon Elliott. Replacing Legwinsky and Sean Davis, the the contrast between the team we had at Loftus Road compared to the team we had two or three years later, when we were beating Chelsea at home, was worlds apart in terms of quality. And if it hadn't have been for Barmore and Steed, I think we would have comfortably gone down. For me, they carried the team big time in attack. A lot, I thought the team. Put I would say the team defense dep- depended on those two in attack more than any other team i've seen for fulham possibly with the exception of ross mccormack but in in the premier league definitely i think we can we can write off the ross mccormack years as disastrous anyway can't we well yeah we can but uh, but you, you get the point i'm making it, yeah absolutely in my lifetime i've never seen a team carried in attack as much as Barmore, and, and steed did in those years i mean you you know Zamora was was obviously crucial in in the Europa League year and, and you can you can name a number of players Mitrovic but there's always an alternative to those players they, they were a good team they always had players behind them that were good at supporting them Zamora Gira and then Murphy and Davis Duff um, we had Cessignon Kearney in in the promotion year there's always somebody in that team I'm talking about other than Barmore a and Malbronk, possibly McBride, but I still don't think McBride's in the same league. There was no quality in the team. We, we needed them more than I've, I've ever known. Uh, and that is probably Boamorte's biggest achievement for me. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair comment. So,
0: lots of good memories of Say, of What's your favourite memory?
1: Well, I, I think most people would obviously go for... The Chelsea goal, I think that's a little bit lazy. Um, Obviously, the novelty of beating Chelsea the only time in, in what, like 50 years or something stupid like that, it's, it's a big deal. But it's pro- probably the worst important goal we've ever yeah. scored. Is it Ricardo um, Carvalho that kicked it against his foot? Yeah, no. I think it was the other, the other fella, um, Ferreira. Ferreira, yeah. Yeah, both Portuguese. It was one of them anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, that goal come from a Mal Bronx shot that deflected into the path of bar and it, mm. it just it was just pure luck, wasn't it? I mean yeah. we were good that day, but we rode our luck with Drogba having the goal disallowed. So mm. it was just it was just one of those occasions that was written in the stars for us to win that day. Yeah. Um, but I find it hard to fall in love with that that goal just purely because the goal was rubbish. Yeah. His goal at Stamford Bridge was outstanding. Was. Um and, and that, that doesn't get spoken about a lot. He, he turned Marcel Desailly inside out twice. He, he went round him. Then he come back for some more, went the other way and then curled it into the far corner. Uh, that was a brilliant goal. Quite an important goal as well. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah,
2: drew
1: do, 1-1. Yeah. yeah, we drew 1-1. I, I think it, it was a goal that kept us up. But at the same time, it stopped Chelsea getting in the top four. Uh, it was yeah. like second or third from the end of the season. So that would be up there. Obviously, Huddersfield away. That was in the last quiz, wasn't it? About the, it uh, the was, podcast yeah. quiz. It's, although Sean Davis gets all the plaudits, Bo and did score the goal to get us to the promised land. So, mm-hmm. And it was the first time. And and, and for a club like Fulham, it, it, you know, that's special. So that will go down up the top. I think people forget that that goal was the one that took us up. I think people...
0: Assume that the Sean Davis goal at Blackburn was the one that that got us up because it all but yeah. did, didn't it? But it was that Boamorte goal and the two-one win away at Huddersfield that that guaranteed it. And then um, Sean Davis scored the equaliser at home to Sheffield Wednesday
1: um, to to guarantee the title. What made it so dramatic? They was all last-minute goals. They were, yeah. So it was it was like it was very dramatic. You know, you can't beat um, an important last-minute winner, but. Answering the original question, what was my favourite moment from Boa? Uh, it's got to be the goal he scored at off the when he ran the whole length of the pitch. Yeah, what I loved about the goal was it was so unique. And that's what I love about Kasami's goal is is that and Dempsey's goal, they they're just so different to the typical goal you see. I mean, how often do you see a player win the ball back in their own eighteen yard box? Run past two or three players, do a one-two on the halfway line, and that's it. Yeah. they're in. Yeah, they're in behind. No one can catch them. I mean, when you watch it back, it don't even look like Barmore is running that fast. But the others are busting the gut trying to get back, and the gap just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And when you're running with the ball, you should be running slower than everybody else because you've got to carry the ball with you. Yeah. But the gap was just getting bigger and bigger. And you know, we we talk about Ryan Fredericks and how fast he was, and and I'll never see a player in my lifetime quicker than Ryan Fredericks. He was quicker than Bar Morte. It was ridiculous. He didn't have half the control on the ball that Bauer did when Bar Morte was running at speed. And to have that composure to knock it past a player like Brad Friedel at full speed, I, I think just sums up how talented he was. And that sets him apart from all the other wingers we've had for me. Not only was he the fastest winger, which I think is is a big, uh, big thing to have. He's he also had the best end product in my opinion, uh, both creating goals and scoring them. So it, he was he was almost like another centre forward at times. Yeah. yeah, you know, certain seasons and yeah, I, I mean, I am biased, of course. So I could talk about him for England. I actually or Portugal. I absolutely mm-hmm. love him.
0: I think for me, um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick a. A particular goal or, or anything like that is my favourite moment. But I just remember away at Charlton. I don't know if it was the end of uh, the 2002-2003 season or it might have been 2001-2002. No, I think it was in 2003. Um, and we'd just beaten Charlton 1-0. Um, and at the end of the game, it was the last game of the season and Boehm also just stripped off in front of the away end and chucked his shirt in. Then in came the shorts and he was just stood on the pitch dancing in his pants. You must
1: remember that. Of course I remember it. I was behind the goal. Yeah. I I I I wasn't That's a big it. enough fan to hope he'd throw the pants in, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't hoping I wasn't hoping to go home with a signed pair of pants. But <laughs> be um, quite the thing to have an, in a frame on your wall, wouldn't it? Never wash your knees again. <laughs> 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 no, but I do remember it. Um purely because how can you not? I mean, how often does that happen? But that just shows you what a character he was. He was yeah he was mad, but he was ours.
0: OK, so in 2005, he was linked with a, with a move away and there was this kind of whole, will he, won't he go? I think Newcastle was sniffing around him, but we managed to persuade him to stay by making him captain. Um, to me, he wasn't the most obvious choice for, for
1: Fulham captain. What did you think when he was made captain? Were you happy with that? Uh, not really, no. I don't think it's ever a good idea when you give someone the captaincy as a last resort. Uh, almost begging them to stay. I I don't think anybody should be ever put in that position where the club are like, we need you. The club should always come first and what's right for the club should always come first. And if a player isn't willing to stay because they want to stay, then I I don't think it's a good idea to ever just give away the captaincy as as if it's not important. Um, It's a difficult one because uh, I said a while ago, he was at a stage in his career where he was the senior player in the team. Uh, he was probably the longest serving player, apart from maybe Zlatan. Knight, but Zlatan Knight obviously wasn't in the first team for as long. And to be fair, he was superior to everyone in the team, maybe along with Steve Marbronk. And maybe he was fed up with the lack of investment and the lack of ambition, maybe it was the right time for him to get a change. And it was a bad move in the end, because if anything, it soured his legacy a little bit because he wasn't a good captain. Uh, And I don't think he was ever suited to be a captain. No, no, I I think I agree with you there. He
0: stayed as captain for a couple of seasons, then, um, then moved on to West Ham in 2007, having made 238 appearances and scoring 52 goals. Were you gutted
1: when he left? You must have been if he was your favourite player. Of course I was gutted. And to me, it seemed to come out of the blue. But I know a lot of West Ham fans and he wasn't popular at West Ham. Uh, A lot of them were quite underwhelmed by him. If I'm being honest, he was always the kind of player that was reliant on his speed. And once that went, his career was finished. Um, as, As skillful. As he was, he he was somebody who had that advantage because of the pace. Uh, he wasn't naturally gifted in the way that Steve Malbronke is. He probably could have played until he was fifty and still control games. Balmore was was all about the pace, and we probably sold him a year too late. If we had sold him instead of giving him the captaincy, I think that would have been the right time to go. And we definitely got the best out of him. We
0: we for sure we we had his best years undoubtedly. Um, He's been gone 12 years now, left in 2007. I guess a whole generation of Fulham supporters haven't seen him play. Um, How do you think he's regarded amongst Fulham fans these days? Obviously, you idolise him still, um, as do I. Um, How do you think
1: the, the general kind of mood is? I think he's a very popular player. And in every generation, there's a group of fans coming through. And for me, there's always one player in that generation. That is the most popular uh I suppose mid nineties it would have been Simon Morgan, maybe Robbie Herrera, you know at the moment you you you're a couple of years ago you say Tom Kearney was the obvious choice for a kid coming through to to love or Mitrovic. Hmm. yeah for me Barmore. a eh, if you speak to to fans of my age because I would class him as my generation, he is very popular, I would say he was probably on more shirts than a lot of players. And and I know a lot of older fans that put him in their all-time favourite team. Some will go for Les Barrett and people like that. But for me, he was up there. I'm biased. But by far the best left-sided player I've seen in my lifetime. comfortably. Yes.
0: One thing we haven't mentioned about him, actually, was the fact that he got the second goal in that Liverpool game for the uh, the Johnny Haynes tribute game. And that's one that always sticks in my mind. In actual fact, that's the first goal I think of when I think of Bo Amor, so right at the end of that game.
1: Yeah. Another special day. You know, a privilege to be there. And again, that's the same era that I'm talking about. And and again, that goal was Steed playing it through for power to yeah. score. You know, it, it just, I, I keep feeling like I'm repeating myself, but... They, they really were the two players that carried us. And all those moments we had, the great escape, the Europa League, all those. I mean, if it wasn't for Barmol, AML, Bront, we wouldn't have established ourselves. I don't think we were on the decline slowly because there was no investment in the team. Like I said, how can you go from, you know, Sahar and Van Sar and, and Legwinsky and Sean Davis to Simon Elliott? Yeah, and Ahmed our, our Elrich and and Heidi Helberson up front. It's just, it's a completely different world. Mm-hmm. And we would have got relegated. But none, of those, none of those events would have happened if it hadn't been for Balmorte and because they carried us.
0: Yeah, no, they did. You're completely right. So it's, it's funny these days, though. I, I watched Match of the Day at the weekend, um, watched the Everton game. Everton played at Palace and they panned to the Everton bench. And Morte is the assistant manager at Everton. It feels weird Feels weird seeing him on on the bench for anybody, let alone Everton. Because I I remember in that first season in the Premier League, there was an incident between him and David Weir, who was playing for Everton at the time. And I think Bo Amorte uh, bit him on the leg or or something like that. So now he's at Everton.
1: Didn't he get sent off? I I don't remember if he did get sent off. I remember it being quite a big thing uh, for the next couple of games we played Everton. There was a bit of tension there because of that. It was at the cottage, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it yeah, was. yeah. I do, I do remember. But, but yeah, that's what I say. Like he was in those early years, prone to, to stupid things like that. And he was a wind up, bit of a Robbie Savage. You know, he was one of those that you'd rather have him in your team than not on your team. I suppose Knockout's yeah. a little bit like that now. Yeah. Uh, if he's not in your team, he's a wind up. But there was something lovable about his character. He was unpredictable, one of a kind. There, there is no other bowler. And for me. He's one of those players that we've never replaced. As good as Duff and Simon Davis and Dempsey are and Cessignon, nobody has ever had the pace. Nobody's ever been able to run uh, as direct as him with a ball at his feet. It was magical to watch. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have him in our coaching squad because Mm. for me, Ryan Cessignon would have progressed even more if he had learned how to beat a man. In, off but, like Barmore, eh? He would have learned a lot from Barr.
0: It's interesting so. those players you mentioned, like Duff and Davis and Knockart, because those are the sorts of players who would run at players, then cut back inside. But Barmore also never needed to do that. He never needed to use trickery. He was just pure pace. He'd go past the player and he was gone. He'd show, he'd show a player a clean pair of heels and he was
1: away. You say there's no trickery there, but for me, that's a trick on its own, is knowing, yeah. you know, Theo Walcott is lightning quick. But I think he's bang average because his brain isn't as quick as his, his body. Uh, and Kamara is a little bit like that. When it comes to knowing when to use your pace, knowing when to slow it down, maybe uh, drop a shoulder, yeah, he knew how to control his speed to the maximum advantage. And it isn't always to go um, you know gung-ho and, and go full pelt at people. It's knowing when to accelerate and when to knock the ball past them and and when someone's going to dive in and you can nick it past them and and he he just he just knew how to control the pace and that is very hard to to teach i would say um that yeah. that's something that comes natural um and like i said you know Ryan Sessignon, i think would have learned an awful lot from him if he'd been in the coaching staff yeah it's a really good point mate okay well he stayed for seven seasons he started in the in
0: division 1 and, um, and was promoted with the club and then the rest of his time was spent in the Premier League or the Premiership as it was then. Um, what would you give him out of 10 uh, for his overall contribution to Fulham in those seven years? What did I give Sahar?
1: Was it 9.8? 9.8 you gave Sahar, yeah. I can't give him a 10. I, I just can't because that sets the bar too high and there are players that would be higher. I mean, Simon Morgan would be a 10, for example. A 9. A 9. I'll go for a nine. He no. deserves a nine. See, I, I
0: think I'd give him a 10 as well. I, I gave Sahara a 10. And I'd I give, give Bola a 10.
1: If, if, if you were the best, you'd be pregnant every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the you give it away. <laughs> <laughs> Horrendous analogy. Good
0: grief. But they're two of the best players I've ever seen in my lifetime at Fulham. Um, and for two of the best players, they've got to be, they've got to have top marks because any uh, anybody else that we talk about is going to be slightly less. So for me, Boamorte gets a ten.
1: You know what? I'm, I'm going to give him a nine point eight. Nine point eight as well. He's up there yeah, with Sahar. The only reason I knocked zero point two off of Sahar was because he, I don't think he showed Fulham any loyalty. Balmorete clearly stayed maybe longer than he wanted to. Yeah, and, and felt felt like he had to stay. I, I suppose if someone offers you the captaincy you feel obliged to stay even if you don't want to sort of a bit of pressure on you so yeah yeah 9.8, 9.8. Probably, In my favorite ever player for me i don't know i would say he probably did more for Fulham than did in some ways uh, certainly stayed longer yeah yeah i i would go for 9.8 yeah good stuff
0: all right, I think that's everything for Boa. So, um, Danny, it's always a pleasure, mate. Thanks for joining me, and we'll pass it back to the guys in the uh, in the main show. Yeah, nice one, mate. Speak to you soon. Okay, Fulham. Matt Stato, Matto, Arthur. What do you think for Friday night? Are we going to keep the same team as last weekend? Can we change a winning formula?
3: Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I think the same team will be fine. The only thing I'd like to maybe see changed is right back, and that's only if Steven Sess is fully fit. I think the team on Saturday was you know, quite well balanced. The attack, I wouldn't I wouldn't, you know, Cavilero Mitro, Nocker, I'd like to see that. The midfield three of Arta, Kearney and Steph Joe. Yep, that's great. Mawson and Remus centre backs, wonderful. Um, Joe Bryant, left-back's fine. I think right-back is still up for grabs. And I think if Steven Sess is fully fit, I think he deserves a chance. And I think he can probably out Adoy Christie in that position.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I, I can't I, honestly, I can't see Steven Sess and Jon being anywhere near the first team at the moment. I know, you know, nostalgically, it would be great. Now Ryan's gone, it would be great. His brother comes in and carries on the... Assessing your own kind of theme at the club, but personally, I, I just don't see it happening. What do you think, Matt Lampitt?
2: It's it's a tough call. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it too, but I'm gonna I'll pivot a bit and say. I'm really curious to see if Reed can play at that right back role. I feel like he's got a little bit more aggression to him, um, you know, and from what I've seen on video, he looks to be a proper, you know, player with, with, um, you know, some smarts about him. And I just, I just don't, don't trust a toy for some reason. It's just something about last season where a lot of brain fleeting moments, but I think we'll set up the way we did. Uh, my only other question realistically is if Steph Joe will start. I thought he looked all right, but I thought he also struggled in some cases, um, you know, in, in first tackles and and kind of maintaining possession. Um so I wouldn't be surprised if uh if there's a change there. Uh either seeing Bobby Reed early on maybe playing that uh that four two three one or four one four one uh system
0: yeah i I think Bobby Reed really doesn't come here to sit on the bench. There's no way. He could have gone back to Bristol City by all accounts and he would have been playing up front for them. And, you know, arguably Bristol City got every chance of being promoted this season or at least being in contention. So I think eventually Bobby Reed will be part of the start at eleven. But at the moment I'm struggling to see on paper at least where he's going to fit in. That being said, I've not been overly impressed with Cavallero so far in the in the opening couple of games. Plus I went to the, the West Ham friendly as well. Um and I think potentially Bobby Reed could um, could make that that right wing pl- uh, position his own uh, on Friday night.
3: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I'm not sure if Bobby Reed's favourite position is right mid. But, you know, if it's there up for grabs, I'm sure he'd want to try and take it. I agree. I think Cavalero he's been okay, but he's been nothing special. Um, so I think there, you know, there's definitely a chance for someone, be it Bobby Reed. Be it Kamala, be it Aite, um, there's opportunity for one of them there to kind of come in and displace Cavalero from that position.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, and personally, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tinker with anything else. Really, I wouldn't toy around with the with the defence. I think I'd I'd start with the same midfield three. I thought Arthur did really well, and I think Kenny and Steph Joe. There's a, an argument to keep them both in the team as well. So, well, we'll we'll see what Parker goes with. There's... There is one man though, who, who didn't feature on Saturday, who, who I thought might do, and he wasn't even on the bench. And that is, uh, Onoma um, especially after Scott Parker came out and said once he'd signed, that he was the one that he really wanted, um, on deadline day. So I think it's, you know, he, he's going to be in and around the squad sooner rather than later. What do you think about Lampit?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we'll see him uh, maybe come off the bench. Uh, I don't know if he'll be a, a starter, but you never know. I think, um, I, I do think there's some positions up for grad. I think Onuma uh, would be. You know, he could slot right in there in, in certain positions if we're set up for a defense that needs to, you know, get on the attack quickly in, in some counterattacks or we can't find Mitro to feed because he's being hassled. Or, you know, we just need somebody to kind of maintain possession a little bit. I think I like the idea of Reed behind Mitro to kind of, uh, you know, alleviate some of the the focus they have. And he can he's pretty quick in, in his movement. So something like that could work. Um, but, yeah, I'd be curious to see how Anoma plays. I think he played pretty well the, the last uh, last couple clips i've seen them
0: yeah well last week the bench um and we talked about the bench on the show earlier in the week the subs bench was rodak Christie, lamarchon kmack harrison reed bobby reed and floyd ayite if on is going to come in then who misses out um because uh, presumably he's not going to come straight into the the first team who drops off off of the bench to make room for him
3: i think and it's with a bit of a heavy heart to say this i think k-mac might have to drop off um you know we have harrison reed there i think he can come on in the event that one of our midfielders gets injured likewise bobby reed can come on as well so i think you know if i had to choose between k-mac and harrison reed i haven't seen much of reed but he seems younger he seems more uh agile so i'd probably i'd probably pick him over k-mac which you see k-mac drop off the bench for on to be honest
0: yeah, I, I think I might agree with you. What do you think about Lampett? Do you think K-Mac might make way and might, might not even feature on the bench at, at times this season?
2: Yeah, I, I'm afraid to say the same. Uh, it's just, you know, it looked too leggy against against uh, Barnsley. And, and I feel like you now have Harry Arter and both uh, Harrison Reed, who are very, you know, aggressive, but also they they've got some agility, like Stato said. Um, So I I think, unfortunately, K-Mac is probably going to make way. Yeah, okay.
0: And then coming on to Huddersfield, they were obviously relegated with us last season. Uh, The pair of us, Fulham and Huddersfield, were probably two of the the worst teams the Premier League's ever seen in its entire history. How do you see them doing this season? So far, they've lost Aaron Moy, uh, who signed for Brighton. Um, They lost their opening game at home to Derby last Monday um, and then drew one all the way to QPR um, on Saturday last weekend. And apparently, according to Danny, the bookies see them as the 12th favourites to win the league. So, in other words, you know, they're predicted to finish mid-table. Matt Arthur, what what do you think? Can we expect a promotion push from Huddersfield this season?
3: I, uh, I I would be surprised if they would reach a playoff push or promotion push. Um, No disrespect to Huddersfield, but let's be honest, the squad that they had last year wasn't really a Premier League squad. And they've kind of retained a lot of players and they've lost the absolute star players from that team, the the Moyes, the Billings, uh, the Russells. So, you know, I think they've just kind of got a bang average championship squad now. So I would be very surprised if they were up there. And also, you know, they lost David Wagner, who was probably pivotal to them getting promoted. I'm, I'm not sure what their new manager's is like, but I'd, I'd be yeah. very surprised if they were up there.
0: Jan Siwa, yeah, I don't I don't know much about him either. Uh, but yeah, he was on the high end nothing last season anyway, wasn't he? I think Huddersfield were well linked with Big Sam coming in for, um, for David Wagner at one point last season. And even Big Sam said, yeah, I'm not going to go there. I don't think even I could keep him up. So... But this season, he's he's an unknown quantity. They had a they had a tough game with Derby because Derby are, are looking very strong this season, and they obviously they obviously lost that game, and then uh, a one all draw with QPR at the weekend. So, yeah, we'll we'll see what becomes of them. Um, Matt Lampitt, thoughts on Huddersfield this season, if you have any?
2: Yeah. I... I don't know too much uh, about them. I know again, yeah, like uh, like Sato said, losing Aron Moy and and Billing, and those were kind of the two solid midfielders. Now I think they've got Hog and Bacunia, and they just signed him Benza. Um, but their defensive line is interesting. Uh, Schindler is. Pretty, you know, pretty strong character, and then Congolo as well. So I, I think they've got a, a decent uh, defense to have to break through. But I don't know if they're going to outscore us. If we can, if we can get um, Knockart running at them, and we can get Cavalero or Bobby Reed, uh, you know, to run at them as well and take more shots from Mitro. Hopefully, we just don't isolate Mitro, which is kind of what we ran into against Blackburn. So as long as we kind of keep the ball moving and um, and be ready for in transition and, and get those counters moving along, I, I think we'll. Or might uh, we might be able to bag this one.
0: I think we just need to be very careful about underestimating Huddersfield this season. After especially you know last November, we went up to went up to their place and expected to win just because they were they were bottom of the league and hadn't won yet. And of course that all went completely wrong for us, and it, it led to Slav being um, being removed and Ranieri coming in. It was it's kind of a real pivotal moment for us last season, and I hope this season we can just really banish those awful demons and go up there and get something and it's it's a real crap crap time to be playing in Huddersfield as well on a Friday night M1 traffic on, in rush hour so kudos to anybody who's making that journey because it's um it's not the easiest place to get to in the world on a, on a Friday night um looking looking back at our history with Huddersfield we've won five of the last eight meetings um of course we beat them in in December with the whole Penalty incident when when AK forty seven snatched the ball off of Mitro, but then Mitro ended up back in the last minute winner anyway. Our last eight meetings have all come in the last five seasons, and um, before that, the last meeting was back in 2000-2001, which we talked about earlier in the in the week. Um, there's been some memorable recent games, as I say, the the one nil, then. Again, the game that more or less got Slav the sack. And then, of course, we won at Huddersfield 4-1 um, in April 2017. Matt Arthur, do you remember that game?
2: I
3: remember that game very well, mainly because it was only a few years ago. But it was when kind of Slav ball was really coming into fruition. I just remember Malone absolutely destroying them. And then I remember yeah. the consequent summer. we We didn't go up, obviously. They did. And then... That they just nabbed Malone off us because they probably thought he was like the best left back ever, because he just played phen- phenomenally against them.
0: Yeah, but I, I thought after that game, because Huddersfield were um there or thereabouts in the playoffs, and like you say, they ended up getting promoted through the playoffs. But when we went there, it, it looked like they were about to implode because we were mm-hmm. we were chasing, chasing the playoffs and ended up getting into the playoffs, albeit we didn't make it didn't didn't get to Wembley that season, but a 4-1 at their place at that time of the season was a real statement. Um, and of course, earlier that year as well, we'd beaten them 5-0 at the Cottage as well. So, you know, we ended up putting nine past a team that ended up being promoted. It's a crazy stat and, you know, just just about summed us up that season, I think.
3: Yeah, and I remember Huddersfield, I think they're like one of the only teams ever to have got promoted by the playoffs and have a negative goal difference. Yeah. And let's be honest, that was largely in part of us, inflicting a 5-0 and a 4-1 on them in that season.
0: Yeah, quite. Yeah, no, you're right. I think the, the last time we'd lost to Huddersfield before last season was back in 1993. So mm-hmm. I hope we, we haven't bucked that trend and, and we're going to make a habit of it. I think I think, I think think we need to win this one. We lost in Yorkshire on the opening day of the season at Barnsley in a match that I thought we, we would comfortably win. I don't. I don't want to go thinking that we're we're going to win this one and be all arrogant about it. But I feel like I feel like we need to win this one to you know really put a statement out that we're serious about coming back up this season. What do you think about Lampitt?
2: Yeah, I think I, I think this is a needs to be a statement. It needs to be a statement of kind of the validation of what has been chosen and kind of like calm everybody down from the January transfer window, you know, Hey, we didn't get our right center back, but what we have here is, you know, experience and team uh, players that have played together. Um, you know, they grilled it out through a premier league st- season, a relegation season, albeit, but still they went through it. And so I think we need that, this, this match to to really be a validation of not only Parker's position and his tactics, et cetera, but also who we've grabbed up into the, into the window, who's going to take us the rest of the way until the next uh, transfer window.
0: Yeah, no, completely fair enough. Um, I've got some stats here that Stato Matto sent over to me earlier about Huddersfield from last season. And obviously we need to take these with a pinch of salt because our stats were bloody awful last season as well. But (laughs) They only won two games at home last season, one against us, and then they also beat Wolves. They only kept two clean sheets at home all season um, and five overall. Of course, one of those clean sheets at home was against you-know-who. They scored an average of 0.53 goals per game at home, and they only scored 10 all season and um, they conceded 31 goals at home, which is an average of 1.63 per game. And they conceded every 55 minutes. So um, <laughs> and according to these stats as well, Fulham are more likely to score towards the end of the first half, based on when Huddersfield conceded last year. So there you go. We will see if that comes true or not. Key, Huddersfield's key players last season. Christopher Schindler played 37 out of the 38 Premier League games. And, of course, he scored the winner against us um, at their place when we lost. Striker Carlin Grant was brought in in January to prepare them for being in the Championship. Obviously, they'd, they'd foreseen quite early on that that was where they were heading. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. Know how, does anyone know how he's done so far, Carlin Grant? Has he scored yet? Uh,
3: he scored I against Derby. Yeah, oh, yeah, he scored against Derby and I think he scored a few in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, okay he was doing very well for chelsea before that and you know i think he will probably be their main you know threat going forward on friday
0: okay um it looks like their goalkeeper jonas lossall has been has been sold to everton so i don't know who's in in between the, the sticks for them this season i should know that actually because i watched the highlights of their match with qpr earlier um from the weekend but i can't remember who it is
3: they signed um, this Polish goalkeeper from Liverpool. I think his name's Grabara. Okay. Um, yeah, but he's just some Liverpool lonely. I don't know much about him to be honest. Okay,
0: hopefully he's rubbish then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, other other signings <laughs> they've made. They bought in Tommy Elphick from Villa. They made the signing of Isaac Mbenza permanent. Um, Trevor Chabola signed on loan from Chelsea he's a centre half who Fulham had been linked with at one point oh yeah and here's on your stats as well mm-hmm. um, Camille Grabara signed on loan from Liverpool goalkeeper okay so let's um, let's have a score prediction how do you think we're going to do Matt Arser
3: um, I'm going to be really optimistic and I'm really, I would like to see us keep back to back clean sheets this time, which we haven't done in forever and particularly in away clean sheets. So I want to say, I want to
2: say another two nil.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'd take that for sure. How about you, Matt Lampett?
2: Oh man, I think we're going to absorb pressure early. I feel like it's going to matter who's at that right back spot. To me, honestly, of who's going to be caught on the back. Um, you know, who who who's going to be able to take it on the back post? So I'm going to say, I'm going to say we're going to end up um, taking advantage of our chances. Though I'm saying three one.
0: Yeah, great stuff. I'm, I'm going to go three one as well. I think that's a that's a good score if we can if we can start rattling in some goals and put the frighteners up some teams then. Um, then that'll put us in good stead. We've got some. I'm, I know every game's difficult, but we've we've got the, the Cardiff game coming up at the end of the month as well, and I think that'll that'll be a really feisty one. So be good to good uh, to get ourselves. Sorry, say that again.
3: I think that will be Parker's first real test. That Cardiff game. Ooh.
0: Yeah, but so but but before then, it would be good to get ourselves in a good position of at yeah. least in and around the top six, um, just to, just to make a statement. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much, gents. Thanks for joining me. Um, we'll be back on Monday to talk all things Huddersfield and bring you another quiz. In the meantime, head over to Fullonfocus.com, where there'll be a further preview of the Huddersfield game and a match reaction article on Monday morning. Um, as always, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And if you haven't already done so, for goodness sake, subscribe to this bloody podcast. Thanks once again to the match for joining me and to you for listening. And let's banish last season's Huddersfield demons and hammer them on Friday night. See you soon. Cheers.